0: Right, so uh we're going to be in second timothy chapter two uh we're talking about building people who build churches which is what paul's in the business of doing with timothy and uh we got another look at uh the eighth thing a vessel of honor and uh, and so um we're almost we're almost there um let's go ahead and uh pray and uh and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this time just to to, to uh, pray specifically and fervently over the, the prayer pieces. And there is a lot of need in the body, Lord. I know uh, physical need, spiritual need. Today at the end of service, there's a lot of people who really do feel like they're in a... In a desperate situation And I know there are Just from what I know There are people in desperate situations That need uh, They need a miracle They're thirsty And they need water from the rock And Lord we thank you for giving us the rock And uh, the, the rock which is Jesus And thank you for giving us fountains of living water Making us like trees planted by living living waters Lord And we just pray God your blessing On the reading and the hearing of your word tonight And uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus name Amen Alright so we're going to look at Second 2 Timothy 2.15 2 Timothy 2.15 the text here says very familiar study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat at death a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some um, in Verse nineteen, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal: the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, uh, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver and also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified meat for the master 's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they will they do gender strives. And uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure um, will give, if God, I'm sorry, peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgment of the truth. Uh, and then i 'm going to go ahead to verse twenty six he says and, and that the, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will so um, so as we look at this passage uh, we 're going to talk about the identity, identify as a faithful servant, a faithful ser- servant and uh, and I think all of us want to be uh, a faithful servant so Uh, We're coming to the the end of the line here. Um, A faithful servant of the Lord identifies uh, with his Lord. He identifies with his Lord. And so uh, the the number 8 there is identify... um, I'm sorry, identify as a faithful servant. And point A is a faithful servant of the Lord identifies with his Lord. And so in verse 24, it starts off uh, with and. So we're adding to the information that came before. Uh, In addition to being a son a uh, Strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse one, in addition to being a faithful steward who collects the word of God from faithful men and commits the word to faithful men, in Second Timothy two two, in addition to being a disciplined soldier who endures hardness and avoids entanglements with the world, the flesh, and the devil. In verses three and four, in addition to being a single minded athlete of integrity who strives for the masteries lawfully and is crowned eternally. In verse five, and in addition to being a wise husbandman who labors in the field so he can be rewarded with with fruit in Second Timothy two uh, six and seven, and in addition to being a faithful teacher who remembers and repeats biblical instruction, so men will be reminded of biblical instruction in verses eight through fourteen. And in addition, in addition to being a faithful st- uh, uh, student who studies to show himself approved, shunning profane and, and vain wise uh, or uh, profane. In vain babbling, verses 15 through 18, and in addition to being a, a pure vessel of honor uh, prepared unto every good work in verses 19 through 22, uh, we are now seeing the ninth attribute of being a new creature, or or we are looking at the eighth attribute stacked on top of being a son, uh, which why oh, this is Roman numeral number eight, and that is and that is being a servant. So Paul uh, makes the case in Galatians 4.1 that the child differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Likewise, we know that the scripture, in the scripture that the first priority of a child is to learn uh, obedience, right? Ephesians 6.1, so it is therefore no surprise that we have come full circle from the comfort of being a son to the commitment of being a servant. So Paul isn't referring to doing service, but being a servant, or what we would uh, call a slave, um and so in this country of course we should and we do hate human trafficking uh the reality is up until the 1860s though uh, human slavery uh was customary among the peoples of the world and sadly it's uh customary today uh by many of the uh the black market economies so and even this economy for that matter as americans um uh, or at least tra- traditional American values uh, would say that's repugnant uh, and it should be as we live in a society that's been liberated by the gospel uh, however we're going backward right as far we get further from the gospel this is a subject that's becoming more on the forefront because of human nature uh, but in the time that Paul wrote uh, this epistle is estimated that a large majority of the Christians and a large majority of society in large were in, uh, indentured servants or what uh, we would call slaves And so, uh, several historians estimate the number of slaves in Italy had grown to 30 to 40 percent of the entire population. I've even heard up to 50 percent in that era uh, around the time of Christ. So, uh, but 30 to 40 to be conservative. So, slaves of that era had some legal protection, uh, but they were not sovereign citizens. And so, And so, uh, in in fact, the concept was not introduced among humanity until the English Bible was translated and the Magna Carta was created. So it would not be fully realized until the American Revolution and the subsequent Civil War in 1861 to 1865. So from 1865 to 2023, it's been over 150 years, and there was countries... (coughs) uh, Uh, And there was a a country where all its citizens, with the exception of military and incarcerated, were legally sovereign and free peoples. And so uh, we have been privileged. We've been a privileged people because we're born in the United States of America. And uh, unfortunately, most Americans don't even understand or comprehend That little bit of history right there, if we could all get that down, we'd all be a lot more thankful. Since we're just coming off of Thanksgiving, that's something to be thankful for. Uh, And so when you say thank God for the USA, thank God for the USA. God has really done a good work here. And so uh, because our American privilege its hard to grasp, uh, and that's not a derogatory, not to be confused with white privilege. Because of our American privilege, it's hard to grasp what it means to be a a slave, uh, where you have no rights, no property, and no authority. And just let me pause on that and think no rights. No property, no authority. So it's like, uh, well, Bob's like being in the military your first day, isn't it? <laughs> so it's like boot camp. And so you just have no rights, no property, no authority. That's, that's it. That's who you are. Um, and so, uh, so you, you do what you're commanded to do. Uh, now, as a servant of the Lord, you have been uh, bought with the blood of Christ, and we serve Christ who is a benevolent and caring master. So we have a good master, and we are to be slaves for Christ. We are to be servants. And so uh, we are constrained in our actions by our birthright, uh, Second Timothy two one, and the giving up of our rights for the one who gave his life for us. So we are we're love slaves. That's what we are. Um, And so that's a little bit about point one and and being a uh, really comprehending and being identified uh, with his Lord, right? A faithful servant of the Lord identifies with his Lord. That's point one. Because or point uh, yeah a. Because that's the only identity you have. I mean, as a slave, that's your identity. You don't have individual identity. You are the property of the one who owns you. And, uh, you know, again, that seems repugnant to us. I I understand that because I'm an American and I get it. But that is the reality of slavery. Your identity is in the one who owns you. All right? So uh, we could probably stop right there and meditate on that the rest of the night. and, And, uh... Think about what that really means because that's really uh that's really something, so point b a faithful servant of the Lord must not strive with fools, and so uh you see that in verse twenty four it says and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach and patient. we're going to just talk about not striving for a minute with fools uh, the lord's servants are lovers, not fighters, right, and so um and so you, you may be saying, wait a minute, you know, I read the end of the book and uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, and yeah, Point One's Lovers, and so uh, the Apostle Paul ends this book by proclaiming he was a fighter. In 2 Timothy four seven, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. But uh, that would be a great observation. Uh, Paul is not saying there's no conflict or strife. In fact, we're commanded to strive for the masteries in 2 Timothy 2, five. So um, that's what it says. But what we see in the, is the position of a servant is to do the bidding of his Lord. And though Timothy was commanded to stand for truth, he was not to allow a fool who spewed forth foolish and unlearned questions, In verse 23, to draw him into a losing battle. And boy, uh, we still have a few of those running around. So, uh, So never argue with a fool. Uh, onlookers may be able may not be able to tell the difference, is what Mark Twain said. So uh, that's good wisdom from old Mark Twain, All right, here from Missouri. So uh, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. So in Proverbs twenty six five four, the Bible says, "Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him." Answer a fool according to his folly, lest to be wise in his own conceit. So you got to have wisdom in this, and I believe Paul probably had Proverbs twenty six. Four and five in mind when he was thinking of striving with someone uh, of the foolish heresy that was being propagated in the first century. So Paul openly said he did not uh, that he did uh, he openly said he did strive to preach the gospel in Romans fifteen twenty. He says, "Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation." So Paul instructed Titus to rebuke unruly and vain talkers and deceivers sharply. And so in, first, in Titus 1.10, he says, uh, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So he gets real personally saying the Jews are kind of, there's a lot of unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, and a lot of them are Jewish, whose mouths must be stopped, who subverted whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And they love money. Uh, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So here he's telling them that when you do bring a rebuke, it's it's okay to bring the hammer. You know, bring it means to be sharp uh, with some of these folks. So <clears throat> it's not that Paul is giving uh, you know two different. Uh, he's not giving uh, you know he's not contradicting himself. He's saying, look, you got to be you got to be wise in how to deal with these uh, that are unruly, and vain talkers and deceivers. Because some of them you don't want to wrangle with, and others you got to rebuke them sh- sharply and shut them down. So Paul was bold in his public preaching, but gentle in his demeanor. So in First Thessalonians 2, 2, it says, But even as after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So uh, Paul was bold <clears throat> in his public preaching, but gentle in his demeanor. And so it's clear throughout the scripture that a man of God is to stand boldly for the truth, but have a gentle spirit. In Acts 17, the Bible records great strife and contention in the uh, presentation of uh, the gospel and there was great persecution against the church yet the epistle uh, written to the Thessalonians, reveals the gentle nature of the servant of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7, the Bible says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, uh, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preach unto you the gospel of God. So, uh, point two: we're not to, we are not to withhold the fruit of the spirit from any man. In Second uh, Timothy chapter two, in verse twenty-four, the Bible says uh, the servant of the Lord must uh, 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 <clears throat> the servant of the Lord must share the fruit of the spirit with all men, so, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto the people that he wants to be gentle unto. Now, it doesn't actually say that; it says be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient. That means you need to be a gentleman. We used to have a phrase in our culture called a gentleman. And it was actually a term of virtue. Uh, To be a gentleman was actually something that was good. Where do we get those terms? Well, we get them from the Bible. Uh, It's a virtue for a man to be gentle. Uh, It says here to be gentle. Be gentle unto all men. And so, uh, and so that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing. The servant of the Lord is to share the fruit of the Spirit with all men. Notice gentleness is mentioned as the uh, antithesis of striving. So it's the opposite of striving. That is because it is, man- it is a manifest token of the indwelling Spirit of God, according to Galatians five twenty two. So we're not at liberty uh, to withhold the fruit of gentleness from those who would rather strive and fight over foolish questions, but we are uh, we are to offer them a piece of the Spirit of God in our dealings with them, so that uh, in the ta- so they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And and the boy, this is the boy. This is so true. I'm, I'm in the middle of a. I, I won't get into it, but yeah, there's people that want to strive, and uh, um, man, I tell you guys, all you can offer them is gentleness, because uh, they're just contentious, and uh they want to argue about this or that doctrinal thing, and who said the sabbath was this or that or whatever i mean at the end of the day the word of god stands and uh... and, and the bible is true and but we got to be gentle with people even all men uh... even those that uh, might want to cause division and strife and what have you in the church of god so um, a faithful servant of the lord uh... point c must instruct those that oppose notice it says oppose themselves so what do we got to do we got to instruct those that oppose themselves And so, uh, of course, it's laying there in the text, right? Gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So it may be, um, it may seem strange to think that Paul is using uh, uh, or telling this to a servant or a slave to be apt to teach, uh, in verse twenty four but that would not be in common uh, to many reading the epistle, many of the slaves of the Hebrew descent were educated slaves who were in the homes of wealthy Romans, teaching their children as part of their affluent slave class. so it was entirely uh, common for highly educated Jews to be uh, servants slash slaves of Romans uh, and teaching their children uh, so again, slavery didn 't look the same way. Uh, at that time as it looks today. So the word apt to teach comes from the Greek word uh, uh, "didaktikos." Didaktikos, if I can pronounce that right, D-I-D-A-K-T-I-K-O-S, didak-tikos which is uh, where we get the uh, English word uh, didactic, meaning intended to teach particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive. So this is a principle that is not reserved for pastors only, but all saints. And, uh, and so it's important as we're teaching that, uh, that, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're teaching principles that also, um, you know, have a, a motive that, that glorifies the Lord back when David Pierce would teach citizenship courses at Kansas City, Kansas for the refugees and the immigrants entering Kansas City. uh, Kansas, uh, what he was doing was using principles of God's Word, talking about the Constitution, talking about the Bill of Rights, because he was first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. So there was an underlying ulterior motive which was to promote God as he taught them about um, issues of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, which, by the way, are a couple of documents, which is easy to, to bring together. If he had to teach uh, on the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita, it would be a little bit different. But the bulk of parents' uh, the, uh, the discipline should be teaching, right? Which is instructing, admonishing, and illustrating the truth of Scripture in everyday lessons of life. So... Uh, Let's just take a moment and think about this if you're a parent or even a grandparent. Do you teach uh, truth from God's Word, drawing parallel from Scriptures as you guide, instruct, and chasten your children? Or do you base your instruction off family tradition and what your parents taught you? you know, this is what we did. This is how I was raised. And Yeah, it's a little dangerous. Uh, what does the Bible say? What should we do? Uh, I just was instructing my daughter at lunch today from the Word of God. And so... Uh, And so when you read Deuteronomy 6, it's very clear that the parent is to be apt to teach. This is why it is a requirement for the pastor. It's uh, not something, uh, the extra that he does, it's something that any servant of the Lord should be accustomed to doing, and especially those who deal with foolish questions that come from those with little or no understanding. And so Deuteronomy 6 tells us this in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, right? Not casually, diligently, uh, unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be frontless between thine eyes. And so, you know, you you get a lot of Baptist preachers that will be beating you over the head about your devotional time. And there's nothing wrong with family devotion, by the way. That's a great thing. But really, Deuteronomy 6 would lead you to believe it's more than that. It's when you're walking. It's when you're talking. It's when you're going along the way. You're always illustrating the truth of God's Word. So the Word of God has to dwell in us richly. And we have to be ready with an answer at all times as we're using the things in life to illustrate and to teach our children uh, the Word of God. By the way, for me personally, just tell you one of the best things to use as an outline is the fruit of the spirit because that you can teach all day long uh, as you as you know you can see the flesh and the spirit just so contrasting, and so you can get down to the cut to the chase with kids. are we walking in the spirit or are we in the flesh it 's that simple it 's pretty easy to see so if the word is not dwelling in your heart you won 't be uh, a tasty fruit. Uh, there won't be any tasty fruit from your life. So the kids got to see that and the folks got to see the fruit in your life. If the word is dwelling in your heart, uh, you will be apt to teach. Um, Obviously, there are some who are given a gifting like we were just talking about a minute ago with Ron. There's gifting and some people are just tremendous teachers like Jeff, and I'm not saying that to puff him up. He's... He's a gifted teacher. Some, some give, Greg Axe, Jeff Trude. So there's some people uh, God just gifts to the body. So here's someone that can really teach. But all of us can teach. And if you're if you're a good servant, you're apt to teach. Uh, and obviously, if you're a pastor, you should be apt to teach as well because you're just a servant. So if you want to learn more about uh, this in a practical way, um, you know, uh, you should you should come to our our child training class because the principles that Jason is teaching on Wednesday night, the next few weeks, they're the same principles that everyone needs, right? A pastor needs them, a mother needs them, a father needs them. Uh, I remember when I was a young man, I would go listen to child-rearing classes, because I thought, someday I'm going to have kids. So I would sit and listen on how to raise kids, because I wanted to be a good parent, and I wanted to be a good son, uh, son of the God. Of God. So, uh, you don't even have to have kids to come and listen to those things. Those things are profitable. Um, and so now we understand why we must be patient. Uh, point four. This is similar to the fruit of long-suffering found in Galatians five twenty two, uh, and this is why many uh, won't work uh, with the children <laughs> because patience is required, and the same thing holds true for the, the uh, for uh, holds true for the fool who holds the false false doctrine. Our last principle of Bible study is that we are to be ready to to change what we believe whenever the Bible clearly is teaching something different than uh, what we initially thought to be true. So God is patient with us, and we need to be patient with others who don't have the same understanding as we do. And so uh, I've told this story before, and I won't use the name, but I can remember many years ago, I had a really close friend of mine that... uh, uh, unfortunately, went on to be a pastor, and uh, and he was not successful. And I'm not surprised. To, and I'm not saying that to be negative, but um, gentle it seemed like on the outward. Um, but I went out to uh, circuit with this fella. Uh, I invited him. Um, I respected him. I kind of he's a little older than me, and had a wife and and beautiful kids, and uh, and and uh, and it was really a good guy as far as I could tell. And then we got out on the circuit, and man. Uh, Sunday school class came and, uh, and he asked the question, which many of you would know the answer, what's the theme of the Bible? Kingdom. Kingdom. Okay. Well, someone made the mistake of saying the cross. You know? And, uh, which, you're out... You're out in Ellis, Kansas, for goodness sake. Uh, and so, that's a good answer. <laughs> so, it's like, okay. And instead of saying, you know what? That's a good answer. Um, but you know what? When we look in the Bible, we see, you know, and you can see that the Bible's about a kingdom. all right? All right. Not at all. It was, the theme is the kingdom. You know, and he just starts beating the sheep, right? I mean, I'm, a, I'm appalled. I'm sitting back like, whoa, get off the sheep, man. Uh, these people don't know any different. You're here to help them, not hurt them. So... Uh, I never, needless to say, I never invited him out. And I didn't realize that was his attitude. Uh, very uh, the impatient. Uh, and, and not somebody who I wanted to take anymore with me on the circuit. Um, Lack at the very least a lot, huge lack of discernment and no gentleness and patience and kindness. I'm just like wow, um, you know we're their guests. Number one, number two, at least say no. Jesus is the, is <laughs> about the theme of the Bible. That's, we can take him to the kingdom. You know, it just really blew my mind. And so, um, but anyway, uh, it goes right here. You know what, that fellow he he struggled in the ministry and serving. He really did. Um, And so, um, anyway, I won't get any of that any further, but um, it really revealed some things to me. So, about the time you think you can't be patient, uh, remember Hebrews 12. Because the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Sometimes things are hard because we're going somewhere. You know, that's what he says. You know what? When you're running a race, you have to be patient. And patience, if you've ever ran, it hurts. I mean, there's some striving internally, some fortitude that's required. Looking unto Jesus, right? Knowing that you're going somewhere. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's a lot in that part right there. You know, Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because there was something better. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. He's like, oh, I just want to suffer. I want to suffer for humanity. No, he didn't. He sweat drops of blood. He did not, as I'm human, he did not want to suffer for humanity. But he chose to suffer because he could look past that suffering to the joy that was set before him. He, wanted, he was that, that priestly prayer in John 17. He wanted to be with the Father like we were before the world was created, right? I mean, he was ready to get back home. And so he had something to run to. And he was running home. Of course, he wasn't a prodigal uh, at all, but he was treated as one because he was—he uh, was there in our stead, and so—and uh and so he endured the cross, despising the shame, and to set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And of course, he made it home. Hallelujah! And he's uh, now he's waiting for us, and he's telling us to run our race and finish our course. So we are to lay aside the weights and the sin. That so e- the, the 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 sin. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. We are to lay aside weights and sin. But don't forget to take the patience with you, right? Don't forget your patience. Don't leave your patience down with your weight and your sin. So take your patience with you, and lay lay aside the weight and the sin. So I'm going to pause there, and uh, because we're running out of time, and uh, we'll pick it up there on point five next time. So uh, I'm sorry, Brian. I missed uh, letter C, number one, and they say C train to C one. I gotta go back and find myself, find my notes here. C one: The faithful servant of the Lord must instruct those that oppose themselves. It may seem strange to think that Paul is using. Um, oh wait, that doesn't make any grammatical sense. Paul is using telling a servant or a slave to be apt to be apt to teach. Let me look at your notes here. C one: It may it may seem strange to think that Paul is telling a servant. Oh, okay. Or a slave. Actually, your copy is better than mine. I got a typo in mine. I must have corrected it when I made the outline. I got a grammatical. So it's a servant or a slave to be apt to teach. Uh, The word uh, apt, A-P-T, to teach comes from that Greek word. Didact, didac, didact, didacticos. There it is. Didactic, didacticos. Sounds like a dinosaur. Yeah, it's actually a. It's cousins with a, a. Uh, the Pentecostals, didacticos. So, <laughs> no, that's a corny joke. But anyway, uh, all right. I should have went on down to number five, but we'll just do that. I got—I won't have a lot left next time, but we'll just—we'll just park the car on that because I actually got a lot. Even though it doesn't look like it, I got a lot to say about all those verses there under point D. So it'll—it'll it'll go. I still have about three more pages of notes to finish up. I don't know why, but the old preacher's windy so alright so the, the secret to all of this is what Christ said in Matthew I think chapter 5 wise as serpents harmless as does amen wise as serpents and harmless as does that's amen yeah cause uh, you know Jesus is the example of, of dealing with uh, knowing how to answer you know, at times, and sometimes he really dropped the hammer and challenged the Pharisees, and other times he ignored them and didn't give them the time of day and told them a parable, them a parable they couldn't comprehend. Yeah. So, yeah, amen. And so, Austin, yes, sir. I heard, a, I heard an odd interpretation I should say, of the you know, when he sweat drops of blood, he prayed to the Father let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not thy will, or not my will but thine. But that Jesus was actually—they they said they interpreted it—that Jesus was actually talking about the fact that some people were trying to keep him from going to the cross, rather than actually the cup of the cross, the cup of suffering, and all of that. Have you ever heard of that? No. Nope. Yeah, like uh, Peter would do that. Uh, Peter did do that. Peter didn't want him to go under the cross, but no, I don't, I don't believe that because that prayer is directed to the Father. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's dealing with his humanity. I'm not sure that that was right. Have you heard that, Jeff? I've never heard. No, I haven't that. <clears throat> it's a, it, it's quite the odd interpretation. It could even be a private interpretation. Yeah. It could very well be. It didn't jive. I (laughs) mean, I've been reading the Bible for several years. It just didn't jive. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And there is a devotional sense maybe you could use that uh, loosely. Because it is true that that Peter was frustrated over Jesus going to the cross. Yeah, but I think it would be dangerous to use it in a devotional sense just because. I would too. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use it that way. It's clearly, he's, you know, and I mean, I, so doctrinally, if you wanted to like challenge that, you would go back and look at Psalm 22, look at the prophecies of his agony, oh, yeah. and, and then you can see what he's praying about well, very clearly says that he learned obedience by the Yeah, Hebrews, yeah, yep. I don't so think, I, don't, I don't think there's anything in it. Yeah, so there wouldn't really be it wouldn't be hard to contextualize that and show that he is obviously agonizing over becoming sin for us who knew no sin, you know. Uh so Yeah. Yeah, the cup, that, are you willing to bear the cup that I You know, and they're like, sure, Jesus. And he's like, well, you will bear a cup, but (laughs) you're not really ready like you think (laughs) you. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I appreciate that. I mean, I I didn't believe that. No, no, but it's good to kind of kick those things around a little bit. All right, I'm going to turn this off. It's been good having you.